0: Welcome to episode 412 of the Crate and Crowbar, a gaming podcast being recorded on the 12th of January, 2023. A new year, a new podcast. Not really, it's the same old shit as before, (laughs) but refreshed by the yearly change, wriggling free of their grub-like sheaths to emerge as iridescent butterflies, I'm joined by Tom Sr.
1: Hello, I am indeed reborn. Bring on 2023 it's going to be a good year
2: and jamie Britton, uh we live in a howling abyss of chaos happy new year everyone (laughs) (laughs) Uh, i should also
0: say i'm marsh davis but i'm still a grub what have you guys been doing over the christmas period have you been playing anything interesting jamie
2: yes i have been playing a fair bit of stuff the steam deck turns out to be a kind of perfect christmas console um which is a weird phrase um But it's, you know, if you're doing stuff over Christmas and you're kind of, you know, family stuff and kids stuff and then, you know, not being at work and stuff like that, it's a perfect little thing to kind of pick up and and play a couple of rounds or something. And I've been kind of hacking into, you know, some slightly weird and wonderful games that I won't go into detail on here. But, for example, I've been trying my hand at visual novels and uh, playing a bit of Neko when they cry, which apparently is 140 hours long, and all you what do is, is just that? <laughs> it is a classic uh, visual novel about a murder that get happened at, uh, on an island by some rich people, and it's a big whodunit. Um, there's no nice. player agency in it whatsoever. Um, you just press A to advance the plot, um, and there's, it's incredibly complicated. It's very very pretty, although when you play it, you have to download it off Steam and then um, patch it with a special fan patch and then change all the options to a very specific form to make it <laughs> the proper version of it. Um, <laughs> but, well, <laughs> well <laughs> it's it's an unusual game because it was made by this, they're actually the same collective who I believe are now going to do the Silent Hill visual novel, which was part of the... Um, the sort of uh, glut of Silent Hill games that was announced at the end of last year. And this is considered their masterpiece. It's like a PlayStation 3-era game, mm. wildly complicated, wildly problematic in that way of uh, Japanese visual novels. But so far, absolutely kind of fascinating, really. I'm really enjoying it. Um, and it's got that nice feeling of being in safe hands while you plunge into um, an incredibly long and incredibly complicated um, story. Um Yeah, so it'll be something I'll return to on another pod because I've only kind of scratched the surface of it, uh, by which I mean I've played it for six or seven hours and nothing's happened yet. So um, uh, we'll see with that one. Um, The game I think I put most time into over Christmas, and again, it was a really good Christmas game, was uh, Dwarf Fortress. So this was released in uh, the beginning of December last year. It's obviously the um, long-awaited... Uh, Steam version of the classic sort of fortress building game um, uh, and uh, yeah it's been a few years in the making since they announced it. The, the two creators of it, Zach and Tarn Adams um, you know they've uh, been basically making Dwarf Fortress since about 2004 or five and you know basically relying on donations from the community but i think they had some health problems that they talked about and some problems in their sort of financial situation so kit fox games uh stepped forward and, and offered to help them uh, make, make a steam version of it um and it is um a triumph an absolute triumph and i've never been happier to give uh some developers my money to be honest uh you know, it's this Dwarf Fortress, is this kind of bonkers thing that they've been doing for the love of it for so long. Um, you know, clearly two very nice guys that no one's got anything <laughs> mean to say about at all, uh, making this incredibly mad um, piece of sort of ludicrously complex work. And so, yeah, it felt really good. And, and, you know, they've reported now that they've sold, you know, coming on a million copies, I think, now, and have done really well, and they don't have to worry about it, uh, money for the time being, which is great. Um, and it's well-deserved because the new version on Steam is a triumph. It is everything the game required. It's almost embarrassing how key graphics turn out to be for, to the Dwarf Fortress experience. <laughs> it it completes the game. It, 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 it's a hefty section that I didn't realise was missing. And then when you play it, when you load it up, and it takes you through your tutorial, and you see your... You know, you're embarked dwarfs, and they're all custom little sprites with little differences to them, um, and and different items of clothing, and there's different animals around you, and you can go up and down the, you know, the the vertical, um, you know, the height differences. You can see, oh, that's the top of the trees, that's the top of the mountains. This is the ground level. This is one beneath there. Everything just comes into focus, and the game. Is now really really fun to play and really really easy to play. I mean, it's still ridiculous in in so many ways, um, but the the graphics obviate so much of the problems that anyone would have playing that game. Um, and they've done stuff like they've added mouse support, which is you know a revelation. You know <laughs> that you can click on things and make stuff happen. Um, they've they've simplified the job system, which is you know somewhat controversial in the df community because it gives you a little less sort of um immediate uh, control over what your dwarfs do although the 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 much-loved dwarf therapist mod is about to come out for the steam version which will change that but all this stuff is kind of based around beautiful music like the music is so um lovely and captures the kind of weird boisterous plaintive feeling of the game really really well but for me, what it's done with all its graphics is really unlock like the experience of the game. Previously, I would play it, I would get my head around it just about, but the fact it is just, you know, you're looking at a black screen or a, a tile set that you've downloaded um, that is pretty rudimentary, that is just... Um, uh, that pales in comparison, basically, because you would get this thing where you, you'd see people on Reddit talking about DF, and they'd say, "Yeah, after a while, it's like the Matrix. You you don't see the X's and the M's and the the dashes and tilts anymore. You just I see a dragon. I see a um, you know, I see a a a, a beast or whatever. And I just don't have that kind of time to learn to see reality in an entirely new way. I I, I need I, I need it turns out graphics, and it allows for stuff like, um, for example. Uh, one of my thought thoughts, the one I'm still playing at the moment. It was all been dwarfs and humans and a couple of elves who had turned up in my kind of pretty badly built fort. And they, because I always build the tavern to be too enormous, everyone assumes it's like a party fortress. So there's like loads of people saying like I want to come and sing it, <laughs> sing in your bar. I want to come and entertain. And I always just say yes because it's fun to just allow the place to get more and more chaotic and crazy and debauched you know like kind of moria but they forgot to do any mining they just focused on the carousing (laughs) um and there was this great moment where i was playing it and then there was this thing in my fortress moving through and i it wasn't a a tile a, a sprite that i'd seen before it was this like big it, was, it took up four entire squares rather than the one that your dwarves normally do. And it was a big black monster thing. Mm-hmm. And it was walking through my fortress. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And all the other dwarves were like running in fear from it because it was this big bat monster thing. Blimey. And uh, uh, it was heading for my uh, manager's office. And I was wondering what it was going to do. And I was just about to kind of... You know, send off my army to come and and stab it to bits or whatever, and then it, it it got to the manager's office and a thing popped up and it was applying for a job. It wanted to be oh um, my God. It wanted to be a bard in my bar, um, oh, yeah. and this this thing which is called <laughs> I've got it I've got the details here. It's a she. She's called Sumost Usimaril uh, Moldaf's Fist Bard. <laughs> she is. Um, a disgusting monster, and you—you you know, obviously, you can look into all their history. So um, she is a small, one-eyed humanoid. It has thin wings of stretched skin. Its charcoal skin is wrinkled. This night creature was first created by the dwarf necromancer Moldaf Lenzjans of Hugdales after horrible experiments on the human F'd Berlonged Beach in <laughs> Riddle Conjure in the year two one four. So. Yeah, she's 25. (laughs) She's musical. She's got a good memory, but she's impatient. And what she turns out to be so she now stands in my bar um, telling poems and singing songs and listening to other people's talk and getting into quite a lot of arguments. She's like quite a needy poet and gets really upset when people don't like her work. Um, And I just love her. I love her like more than I've ever loved one of my sims, you know, or any other kind of um online, you know, anything in Animal Crossing or something like that cuz she's so weird. Like this big, well it says she's small, but she's big on the screen. This like disgusting unholy abomination created in some sorcerer's lab who has now wandered the earth and found her place to um uh, you know, to come and tell stories in the bar. And then just before I was um uh uh, coming on now i I wanted to check in on her and i realized she's actually married to um another one of these things called nil kinterist and he's moldus fist poet and i clicked for where he was and he was um up way up high so like my dwarf fortress is on uh, like elevation one and he was like way up in the mountains on elevation 67 feeling miserable in the rain and like his personality is um he has awesome intellectual powers, an iron will, and a very good sense of the position of his own body. But he has very natural inclination towards music, a poor memory, little patience, very bad intuition, <laughs> and quite poor focus. So, like, compared to his wife, he's this, like... I almost imagined him as, like, a like Billy Elliot's dad or something. Like, just a kind of, <laughs> like, really, like, repressed, mean guy um, who kind of disdains his, his wife's, you know, uh, sort of... Um, bardic ways um and has yet to join her in the fortress and is, is just stomping around in a grump um up in the mountains getting pissed off at the at the rain um and like i could have spent another hour looking into those characters like reading about the forms of poetry they know or the poems that they've composed you know you can go into that much detail you can you can um you can you know look at the things that they've composed um just fantastic and i would have never have been able to do that in the previous version without the graphics of of dwarf fortress because i wouldn't have been able to just you know notice that there was a hideous beast walking through my halls connect that with the thing that is applying for a job as a poet and then be able to like navigate through all the interesting lore stuff that the game now makes incredibly um accessible for you and you can apply that level of granularity to every character there and all those kind of stories and emergent narratives that i've always heard about and have always you know seen on those great youtube videos by Krugsmash or and, and his ilk and now just accessible to me and it just feels like this wonderful thing that like the game really really like desperately needed <laughs> um you know, I guess we all like to think we're sort of I don't need graphics in my video games, you know, I'm fine with just ones and zeros and tilts and hash marks, but <laughs> it is um striking quite how um uh, immersive and rich the game becomes, even more than it was before with the with the application of, of graphics and a UI and hotkeys and, and mice control that don't, you know, break your brain. Uh D- dwarf fortress is
1: just an absolute modern classic. I mean it's up there with like Minecraft in terms of uh, level of accomplishment in its own way and uh the fact it's sort of like it's one of the few examples i can think of where procedural generation leads to actually interesting stories and characters uh instead of just a kind of mishmash uh it seems like so you know people as you you know you've got your miserable abomination poet which obviously would improve any bar and uh <laughs> he that they've moved in and they're entertaining your guests but that's a story that sort of that's actually a story, you know, uh, unlike uh, when I go into No Man's Sky or something, it's like, oh, no, here's a weird mountain <laughs> that means nothing. And here's a weird animal that has nothing to say and no history or background. Tor Fortress builds so much behind its characters and behind the things it generates. Uh, entire histories of people who have uh, like empires that have risen and fallen. It's all calculated in about like two minutes when it's actually generating the world that you're about to move into it's just incredible um i can't wait to actually get stuck into this version because uh like you jamie i've bounced off it repeatedly uh i found that when i did try to get into it uh it was kind of a game that played itself uh, to an extent so the stories would play out in front of me which was very entertaining but i didn't feel like i had any sort of authorship or control and i didn't feel like i could Give direction to what's happening. Um, is what's your experience with that?
2: Yeah, it, it's certainly a game where, like, you can get a fortress kind of up and running, um, and kind of just sort of motoring along, okay. And you, if you keep your scope small, um, then you know it, it does. Um, it can sort of end up just sort of going round and round in circles a little bit. And again, the the, the new UI and the new control scheme makes that makes it much easier for you to like project your imagination onto the rock (laughs) and stone um rather than feeling like you're just doing your best you know that was what i was always feeling like with the previous the you know the previous version of dwarf fortress like i'm i'm gonna do my real level best to build a hall (laughs) and some rooms coming off it and a staircase going down um and you could probably just about manage most of those things, but putting them all together and having them all talk to each other was just too difficult. So I often ended up, you know, trying to, um, you know, just kind of make do. But now when I play the game and I, I boot up my game, I'm like, right, what can I what can I do today? What can I build, you know? Um it's fun to like, all right, I've got this huge store of copper. Let's make copper armor for all of my guys and have them and have and like set them up a like a sweet training floor where they can all sleep and they can all show off their armor and their artifacts on plinths around the room. And as soon as you start doing stuff like that, you know, the kind of true nature of the game as a kind of mad mixture of, you know, The Sims and, uh, you know age of empires and sim city kind of comes into focus you know it, it, it it's so much easier to make your own fun in the game now it doesn't feel like only high level play would ever kind of allow that
1: oh, so good i'm really looking forward to digging into it actually because uh as i said like i've bounced off it so often and um i've been sort of this is sort of on my list of Things to get around to, but I'm worried that it would, like football manager or something, it will consume me completely for <laughs> for, for like a month. And uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm
0: wondering if like in the um, in the wake of all these new AI generators for both art and and uh, Chat GPTs, you know, banging out anything that you ask of it, hmm. whether going back to something like Dwarf Fortress, whether I'd be more kind of cognizant of the the lack of an Authorial intention, in a way, which would be disappointing to me. Like I was talking to, because uh, I, I went, I came back to the UK over Christmas and managed to get um, Tom and Chris and Alex in a pub together, which was yeah. very nice. But one of the things that Chris was uh, was observing about the kind of the the slew of uh, AI stuff is that perhaps we have sort of. Unkilled the author, <laughs> like <laughs> no. actually, uh, we're beginning to realise that having uh, communication is one of the most valuable parts of any art form, and that we do need somebody on the other end. And it can't, no matter how interesting or convoluted or detailed the stories are, that maybe they strike us as empty if there isn't an actual person there mm. doing doing the writing. And they can cheat us into believing that there's somebody doing the writing, but there is nonetheless a sort of hollowness to it. Do you, how do you feel about that, Jamie? I
2: mean, to me, it's kind of, I find it all just very impressive <laughs> and, uh, and very exciting. I mean, maybe that's madness, you know, being someone who does what I do. But like, personally speaking, I just, I see it. I see only opportunity in these things, really, um, on a kind of grander scale. You know, I, I I kind of I guess I have a kind of weird, uh, you know, cyber cyber utopian view of it. I I'm looking forward to all the kind of crazy shit that occurs. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I mean, I understand the the feeling of artists. You know, with all that amazing, I mean, I just find all that AI generated art spectacular. You know, and obviously, I feel for all the visual artists who are looking at that stuff and feeling like they're out of a job. But I just I'm just so excited for what happens when we you know, the people who achieve mastery over that. Um, but I do agree that like there is a very, very strong risk of all quality being rendered meaningless, um, at some point. I think what makes dwarf fortress really sing, kind of quite literally, is its focus on, you know, the fantasy creatures of dwarfs. Like, because dwarfs are so they're limited in 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 certain um sort of uh in certain directions, they're limited. In certain dimensions, they're limited. You know, they're obsessed with drinking and gold and, you know, and all these kind of slight, slightly small-minded pursuits. But within those small-minded pursuits, there are, you know, huge sort of cathedrals uh, of, um, you know, stuff to explore, particularly if they involve, you know, precious metals or carving weird idols out of wood. You know, I think one of the things that makes Dwarf Fortress so special is that the personalities of these dwarves rendered as it is you know procedurally um in a procedural world is it gives you dwarfs to focus on it gives you a minds of moria analog which in in those books in lord of the rings is this weird you know metaphor for the greed of of beings you know delving too deep and your civilization being destroyed from what you uncover within which dwarf fortress that that's an inevitability in a dwarf fortress game if you play it for long enough that specific thing happening um But to think about what kind of minds you would have, you know, to do that, these kind of carousing, but greedy, um, single minded, uh, very creative folk. um, It just ends up being, you know, a a perfect world um, Mm. to to for a game like this. You know, it wouldn't work with. I mean, you know, if if it would, if you made a different game, but it, it it feels so perfect that it's dwarves and not men. You know, this isn't the, you know, the the Gondor simulator, it, it, because that the the horizons of that kind of perspective would be too wide. You know, the fact that they're focused on digging down into the earth, um, and that being the kind of fundamental feature of what they do, I think that is the kind of the sort right. of golden ring around. You know the game that stops it from becoming sludge or slime. So there is sort of like uh, personality
0: and intent expressed through the parameters of the generation, which makes it still, which imbues its randomness with value.
2: I think so. Yeah it's it is a it is a small it's a relatively small space with regards to I guess what it is is it's a small window with which you're seeing this vast this vast world and that's what it does gives you an impression of very well you know a a game i would weirdly compare it to is crusader kings because crusader kings when it's working when it's at its best feels like a an entire world is taking place around you and you're capable of, of shaping it and changing it but I also find that there's weird moments of clarity in that game where you suddenly just see through it all and you're just like, oh, this is just a stupid, this is just like a, a game of risk with, with a, an overinflated overinflated ego. <laughs> um, you know, these are just numbers. Um, that never happens with Dwarf Fortress because it's too gribbly and strange <laughs> and all the monsters are far too odd um, to, to kind of be anything as, as mundane as, as, uh, as simple numbers ticking by. I find the
1: idea of um, like authorial intent with regards to AI really interesting, and I think the great limitation of things like ChatGPT, whatever it's called, um, is that basically what they do is remi- remix what already exists. And the great promise of randomization or AI is that perhaps it could sort of pop completely disparate concepts together in a way that might be like new and sort of inspire people, but actually it can't do that because all it does is draw from existing text uh, relentlessly. And that's actually kind of what a lot of genre fiction does really. Um, and it still feels as though you need a human mind, to, uh, an inspired human mind to break out of that and in- introduce something new that people like, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know how that relates to Dwarf Fortress. It
2: feels <laughs> as though Dwarf Fortress is a, like well, actually funny, a, because, a good cause... version of that. The essay The Death of the Author, Roland Barthes, yeah, Mm -hmm. I mean he he describes how just drawing the you know, the reason authors are dead is because they can only draw from from what has what has come before, you know. They can only quote essentially. And these quotations can be, you know, very complicated and very, you know, rich and deep, but ultimately they're existing in a structure that is um, you know, based upon previous writings and, and previous understandings of meaning. So, like, I mean, that sounds like what AIs do to me. You know, I I mean, Mm. it's sort of, it will be interesting to see how that unravels. Tom.
1: Hello. You've been playing anything? I've been playing Midnight Suns, which is uh, a strategy game, or kind of a tactics game, really, um, from Firaxis, which I've been, for for 400 episodes until now, uh, I've often been pronouncing it as (laughs) Firaxis. But uh, when I actually went to their studio, that's not one. It's Fire Axis. Uh, the fantastic developers behind Civilization, Alpha Centauri. I mean, they're just like... Oh, XCOM, of course. XCOM 2. Uh, but Midnight Suns is uh, also a Marvel game. So it features Marvel superheroes. And it's such a strange mashup of so many different genres. I'm kind of amazed... Impressed and delighted by the fact that uh, an organization like Marvel would give Fire Access the level of control they have over their IP to do this weird game. Um, so basically, you have a team of superheroes uh, and you're based in sort of like a, a weird manner and you wander around as a kind of uh, avatar and talk to the superheroes, build friendships, points, and then uh, deploy yourselves on missions to build, uh, defeat enemies and build... Bo- oh, it's really hard to describe. It's a really, really weird game. So, all right, let's start with battles. So the battles are obviously the sort of cornerstone of the thing, uh, and you can choose to go on uh, tertiary battles that kind of let you build experience and get resources. And then there are story missions, which are the main things that drive the thing forward. And these battles are like one-room battles, uh, by which I mean each fight is one contained arena. And it's turn-based. It's also a card game. (laughs) So uh, you have three heroes that you deploy, and each hero has a deck of eight cards that are randomly shuffled into a collective deck that you get to play each turn. Uh, do you guys understand what? That, does, does that make any sense to you guys? No, <laughs> no. So um, you've got three Source heroes. Of. Yeah each each hero has like a deck of eight cards, and then you're given a deck of like five cards, and uh, a, those cards are shuffled in from each hero each turn. <laughs> And if you're confused, I was also confused (laughs) for the first five hours of this game (laughs) because it's kind of nuts. Uh, You can move your heroes around the battlefield uh, quite freely, but then actually it comes down to actually like using those cards to deal damage, to combo with other heroes to you know uh, deal different types of damage. Uh, I think the the problem with this game is that it's so hard to describe. And so hard to sell that it's really difficult to recommend. Um, so hang on, y- let me just let me just uh, yeah yeah try yeah, and get me. a
0: handle on this. So I I was envisioning envisaging it as a, a pure XCOM clone where you are tactical turn based. Enter a level. You have I don't know whatever five Marvel heroes and you move them. Uh, they have action points and. Uh, you, you know, you hide behind cover or whatever. It, how does that that interface with the card game aspect? When you click on a hero, what do
1: you see? So actually, you're rarely clicking on the heroes unless you want to move them around the battlefield. And it's not on a grid or anything. It's free movement of uh, heroes. Um, they can also interact with environmental like boxes and jump-off points that they can use as well. That's all quite organic, and uh, but actually, what you're really doing is interacting with the deck, uh, and it's the cards that do everything, really, uh, in terms of damage, in terms of solving objectives. Uh, and those and the cards you can for each draw, you can like discard a couple of them, get some new ones in from the multiple decks that you've built across three heroes, uh, and then you sort of combine them together like to have heroes work together to heal one another or combine into mega attacks or to trigger you know like like uh to power up there's there's, um there's a resource which is heroism so whenever you take out the minor enemies you build heroism and that unlocks uh the most powerful cards in your deck um so you'll kick some dogs to death for example um Literally. Classic Marvel arc. classic uh, heroic Marvelock, <laughs> um, and then once you've killed like two dogs, uh, you can then combine like uh, Captain Marvel could do a mega laser attack that will kill all of the dogs <laughs> that are on the screen, um, and it's and because it's um it's not like XCOM where you're moving through an environments so and moving uh, across a grid. It's all in one room. So like the combat encounters are actually quite quick compared to XCOM and uh, more brutal, more kind of like ruthless. And it's kind of tedious at first when your deck is quite boring. But as you um, upgrade your heroes, uh, defeat enemies, complete missions, unlock new things, and uh, talk to people in the manner, in these kind of like uh, in between sections where you're kind of wandering around, sort of making friends, that also unlocks abilities and stuff that you can actually use in the fights as well. Hmm. And actually, it's uh, I'm I'm compelled by it now. I'm absolutely fixated on it. Uh, I was slightly late to this recording because I was playing through a fight in Midnight Suns. <laughs> like I'm fully in on this thing now. Uh, but it's such a it's a strange thing because it's like it's also sort of relationship building game uh so in between the fights you're actually walking around uh, giving people gifts chatting to other heroes forming friendships and bonds uh there's a very there's a morality system which is absolutely
2: baffling uh <laughs> and you're, you actually are a character and you you play as a sort of risen god or something
1: yeah that's right so you play as, a, as the hunter and I'm not aware of this is actually a proper character in the Marvel fiction, but you're basically after 300 years of death, you've been resurrected. You're sort of <laughs> half demon, half bloke, <laughs> or or woman, depending on who you, the character you choose to create. Um, it, it's impossible to create an interesting character, but he's a total like the Hunter is a, like a total avatar. Like he's completely transparent. And he exists uh, to walk around and be completely bland at the other heroes who are the main stars of the thing. And the great thing is that um, uh, every day or so, you get the opportunity to hang out with a hero so you can play video games with Spider-Man, or you can go (laughs) stargazing with Spider-Man. And or you can um, watch movies with uh Spider-Man which is what I've done and I've now <laughs> You're maxed out Mostly just out.
2: hanging out with Spider-Man yeah. <laughs> just hanging out
1: just it's my best mate uh I've maxed out his friendship now like his friendship meter is maxed uh and that unlocked a cool new suit and now he's like black and gold and it, he's awesome and uh you can do that with every hero and uh, a couple of heroes like uh, are really great because they are they haven't featured much in the sort of Marvel extended universe. So Captain Marvel is fantastic. She, she has one movie and turns up in Avengers Endgame. That's not a spoiler. It's really obvious from the start. Um, and she's like a big part of this game. Uh, also blade. And I think uh, there's a blade movie, a new blade movie in the works that just imploded last year. So it feels as though he's not going to turn up in like the movie universe anytime soon, but he's a great character. And he's, awesome in this game. Like He's so much fun to use because uh, he's just got an ability called stake <laughs> and then he just like, leaps really like 12 foot in the air and then stakes someone in the heart and it's like, yeah, <laughs> gets the job done. Uh, and like, it has high chance of critical hits. Uh, he can combine his abilities to uh, bleed enemies and then eat their energy <laughs> and gain health. <laughs> of course, like of all course vampires. you know. Like, like all the best vampires. And then um, you get to go back to base and
2: then you get to uh, lift weights with them, <laughs> have a chat, so and then I gain was... friendship points. <laughs> so I was watching um, uh, someone I know from another, uh, uh, Jeremy Greer, who does the Days of Future cast podcast, which is a good like Marvel comics podcast. And I was watching him stream this game. And the scene that he was playing was one of the maddest things I've ever seen in a video game, <laughs> which was book club. You can have a book club. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That'd and it was a book club with your character um carol danvers blade (laughs) yeah and and the book had been submitted by wolverine and so everyone went and convened in this room and wolvie was just sort of standing in the corner while everyone sat down at the table and discussed this science fiction book they'd read and it went on for so long with these characters having this really really (laughs) involved back and forth about this book although what they were actually doing was just describing the plot of the book which is not what you do at a book group you know but they were just recounting what had happened and it went on and on and on (laughs) and then they were like wow that was great thanks everyone thanks for coming to book club um you know and then, and then Wolverine was like, "Did you like the book?" Then, like that was his kind of contribution to it. Plus and two friendship. Like, yeah. yeah, plus two friendship. You have now, and you know, you've now unlocked brain stab for Wolverine <laughs> or whatever by by attending his awkward book club. That's um, exactly
1: yeah. what it's like. Uh, yeah, so um, Blade actually runs the book club. <laughs> That's right. It's Blade who runs it. Yeah. yeah. So he starts it. So the first one he runs is like, it's uh, like I'm going to bring. Sun Tzu's Art of War. Would you like to come to my book club? And I, I, Of course I said yes. <laughs> I'm turning that down. I want to see what Blade has to say about Sun Tzu's Art of War. And then uh, everyone sits around and sort of uh, chats shit and then makes it like everyone's happier when they leave. <laughs> it's just, you're right though, that it, there's so much writing in this game. Like, uh, in terms of just from the book club stuff, the incidental sort of. Uh, moments that you have when you're bonding with characters, uh, and through to like the box in any given mission. Well, one of the great things that uh, this game borrows from uh, XCOM Two is the idea of having like nemesis or you know uh, big massive villains that can sort of pop up at any time. So you could be on a sort of side mission that you're you're like oh okay, I just want to gain a bit of XP for Spider Man. Uh, I just want to get some items for Um, (laughs) Spider-Man. And then uh, the objective might be like, okay, well, protect this canister or something like that. And then it's like, okay, three turns, protect this. And then on the second turn, Fallen Venom will just appear. (laughs) Uh, This massive supervillain who has been a sort of thorn in your side throughout the story missions can just appear at any point, like seemingly in any other mission. And it's like, oh, I, I hate that guy. And it's precisely the same feeling as you have with um, XCOM 2 where you're like, you know, when they show up, it's just like there's a feeling of genuine uh, opposition between you and the villains in, in the game because that they can just ruin your fun. An easy mission that you're just going to coast through and get some experience for, and suddenly, it's, suddenly it's a boss fight with this uh, crazy alien symbiote Madman, uh, who can just regenerate himself, and you know, use these weird tentacles to destroy one of you instantly. And uh, that stuff is really, really, really cool. Uh, and now, my actually, uh, the problem is that uh, initially my characters were not resilient enough to withstand that, so it would feel really unfair when that happened. But now, when it like I've actually got built the decks for each character, and I've leveled them up a little bit, and sort of found out how I want them to play. I can actually withstand that kind of surprise in a way that actually makes the game way more fun because it's still not given that I will win. Like they're still really tough opponents, but uh, I know kind of how to deal with with them. Uh, and that is a very satisfying arc. I think I wish that you had a few more powerful abilities from the very beginning to kind of get there um, because I, I found it quite a struggle for the first few hours. I was like, hmm. I kind of felt like the game might be a bit busted balance-wise, but I, I, that's not the case now. Um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a strange game. <laughs> it's really weird. It's kind of, it reminds me of Slay the Spire with the deck-building stuff. Um, and there's also just kind of very much the sort of relationship-building thing in between, which is really cool, but also just, like, I've never seen strategy and like relationship management mashed up together like this, except in like Fire Emblem. That's the closest mm. thing I could uh, link to this game, I think, in terms oh, right. of what it's like.
2: Yeah, so for me, I I just can't abide that stuff. Like, when I've watched some of it, it just seems so weird um, that I just know I wouldn't be able to, uh, you know... Uh, uh, withhold my cynicism from that so i'm wondering if someone's going to make a kind of long war style mod which mm. will strip out some of that stuff and just let you have the because uh, i think the uh the battles themselves look incredible and like the way knockback works i just just from watching oh, it, yeah. you know you're sort of throwing people across levels and crashing into stuff and all that kind of thing that just looks really really cool
1: yeah actually i'm really glad you mentioned all back i, I would have forgotten that because um like your like the hunter that your avatar character uh it's one of his beginning cards is one of the best ones uh it's so much fun you get to just like latch onto a character and then move them wherever you want to on the battlefield and if they hit a wall they'll take damage uh but they can hit another enemy and they'll both die (laughs) or be ko'd as the game says They're, They're so 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 dead um you've been staked in the heart by blood <laughs> yeah just oh, he's just knocked out yeah. You're fine. K-O. <laughs> there's also an amazing sort of street fighter style voiceover whenever you ko someone it goes like KO, 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 K-O. <laughs> it's echoing sort of uh things as you know it's very satisfying though like it's very good uh, and that that sort of um uh, ability to move opponents around the battlefield and there's a character who can create a portal in the ground, um, and you could just throw people into the portal and they just die. <laughs> it's just the end of them. <laughs> like it's, it's it's literally a portal to hell. Like it's a it's a flaming boiling circle in the ground. And you could just move enemies into it, and there's like, oh, he's gone. <laughs> like goodbye. Yeah, it uh, sounds you're... a little
2: bit like um. Uh divinity original sin uh, oh there is an element of that yeah yeah with that kind of sense of like barely controlled chaos that you have some but not all of the agency required over you know um does it have that kind of powder keg sense of everything's going to be on fire or is it a bit more is it more uh, controlled than that it's a bit more controlled in the
1: sense that enemies don't tend to use that against you so like yeah you can move them around, but they can't tend to move you around so much and, and do that stuff. Uh there's a brilliant mechanic where you could be like fighting on a helipad and um you could throw enemies towards the edge and there's like a and it'll be like it'll show you a fifty percent chance they get KO'd. Uh and there's a brilliant the animation in this game is incredible, by the way. Like the actual fighting animations and, you know, all of the movement looks incredible. Um and then you say, so you'll punch a guy to the edge of this helipad and he'll like There'll be this hilarious sort of teetering on the edge animation, where he's like spinning his arms. Like, over. Oh, 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 Is he going to go? And, it's like, and then he just falls off, and he's like, "KO, KO." <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's not KO'd. He's uh, he's he's gone from this world. <laughs> <He's>
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw um Scarlet Scarlet Witch's move animation was also in that cliff I watched, and the way she kind of. She sort of um floats over in this incredibly sort of sultry way. It's just incredible. It's just, yeah. abs- just like liquid, amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the animation is so so good. Uh, Scarlet Witch is brilliant. I also I love that um in like the Marvel universe as in its current state, that Wanda Scarlet Witch is probably the most powerful being in the universe <laughs> in many ways. Um Wonder is an incredible TV series for anyone who enjoys the comics and things, uh, or enjoy, enjoys these heroes um, and then there's also but there's also Captain Marvel and she's just she's uh, Marvel's Superman but way more
2: fun <laughs> and, I mean uh, it's there's tight- a slight, prob- slight problem with Wonder in the comics, well anywhere really in that like sometimes she can warp reality to her very will yes. and then sometimes she can sort of fire bolts at people and that's 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 sometimes what she's doing her depending power level,
1: yeah, very much, yeah. Depending on, oh, if she's gonna have to be in this comic, then she can't be as. She would just defeat yeah. everyone instantly. Yeah. Um, but in this, uh, I think she's really well done because, uh, like, she's really, really powerful, and uh, she's one of those characters, as I said, who can just show up in random missions. I was like, oh no, <laughs> oh no, <laughs> we're in trouble now. Uh, Wonder has shown up and everyone's about to get hexed and then probably sent into a portal full of tentacles or something. <laughs> it's good. I'm enjoying it. Um, I, I think I might come back and talk about it once I've, I, I think I'm definitely going to complete it. I tend to complete every Fire Roses game. game um, and sort of reflect on it. I think you're right, Jamie, that actually some mods might really help it in terms of just, or, or, or patches or, on the part of the developers to actually sort of smooth out the uh the progression curve, um, you can skip through lots of the conversations, but the conversations are very long, they're really really long. So I can imagine there would be a mod uh where you could sort of click the button to give Spider Man a uh, a nice book and get the friendship points without having to <laughs> listen to all the uh, the dialogue. But yeah, no, I've I've been enjoying it.
0: What, is, what does failure look like in the game? I'm uh, like, What's the overall structure? Is it like an XCOM where you, you can have all your characters wiped and then it's over, or, or is it more <laughs> of a
2: narrative game? Spider-Man's just dead. Game over, yeah. Spider-Man died. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> thankfully,
1: uh, I'm very grateful for this, but um, XCOM 2 had like a kind of doom clock that sort of ticked down all the time. This game has nothing like that. You could take your time. Do as many missions as you want.
2: Well, you can have uh, a book club. It doesn't necessarily say, suggest the most club. apocalyptic scenario, does it? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: so you can, yeah, you could just kind of chill out in this one. Um, and all, oh, I forgot to mention the manor grounds, which is like a giant dungeon full of like uh, glyphs and statues that you can unlock and gain uh, like uh, traversal powers from that g- give you access to more of the grounds. And then you find more treasure chests it's bonkers it's absolutely bonkers um so i've covered lots of words
2: already like, <laughs> i don't know what to say about it well there's so much stuff isn't it isn't it it's like but yeah it's I'm just like, so much in this game and they, the fact that they've chosen this relatively obscure comic you know line from the 90s yeah and use that as the basis and then just like all the mad stuff that they've kind of put in there i think it feels like and i haven't played it so but watching a bit and 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 reading about it it feels like they've actually it's been done with a lot of precision but there is a lot of stuff you know a lot of content but you know quite um intelligently placed um but it does feel kind of mad uh and unique i think which you know is is something isn't
1: it it's so unique and it's the sort of thing i would expect from like a like a new ip or something but the fact they've Taking this approach to the Marvel, like the Marvel IP, which is probably the, one of the biggest uh, in the world, is refreshing and exciting in a way. Like, yeah, because uh, like uh, Jamie you and I were talking about Marvel Snap in a, a previous podcast. It's like the Marvel universe; like they're getting this licensing stuff spot on. Like they're giving it to developers are making really cool interesting games with their great characters you know uh and I do love that about it actually
2: yeah i mean i'm i'm i think the game is probably a very distant uh prospect but the uh Wolverine game that they're making um mm. that uh um, Insomniac uh are making yeah you know, i can't wait for that you know That's if they good. can oh, yeah. if they can apply the same level of um you know be Spider Manness to to uh, being Wolverine, <laughs> then I'll be. Oh, that sounds great, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds
1: fantastic. Absolutely if they great. can
2: do a kind of God of War like with Wolverine, come on. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Did you ever play, um, what was it Wolverine Origins or X Men Origins Wolverine back in the day? I did not. Made by Raven. Oh. Uh, amongst other people.
1: That's funny. It was I've, actually, I've, I mean, it I've was... just
2: been playing Heretic just in the last few days. Obviously. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, it was during a rough period for, for Ravens uh and developments in that they seem to be doing quite a lot of licensed stuff and and uh, uh it was a bit of a mixed bag, but uh, that game had some amazing dismemberment. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's funny because like there's that weird space that superhero games used to occupy with that kind of, you know, double A eight out of ten kind of vibe that you would get from like what was that Hulk Ultimate Destruction game or something like that? Um where it was kind of, it was fun to play, but it kind of not too rich. And you said you mentioned that you've been playing Gotham Knights as well, which mm. you know poss- possibly uh, mm. fits in that kind of space, doesn't it? Like it's kind of wank, but it you can it will kill a couple of hours. <laughs> wouldn't give it an eight. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I think um, puts me in mind of the uh, PS2 Spider-Man games, which were like way better than they needed to be at all for like. A tie in, and they're obviously the origin of the uh, to me is a Spider Man fan, fantastic uh, insomniac Spider Man game. Uh, and the sequel is out this later this year, I think. So I'm really excited about that one. Um, Gotham Knights, though, um, I don't even want to get into it. Really. <laughs> no, well, you obviously don't have to. Um, It's just so it's got the Arkham name of the Arkham Batman Arkham games. Uh, from Rocksteady, even with some sort of ill thought out Batmobile sequences in the third one, are fantastic games. They're just perfect. Uh, they perfectly capture the fancy of being Batman. And the fancy of Gotham is, you know, this permanently nighttime, uh, overridden with uh, thugs, uh, just ready to be beaten up and uh, batteranged. Um, I, I, those games were just spectacular. Um, and then... And uh, beautifully written, I think,
2: in places yeah. at least.
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Jim, have you played uh, all of them?
2: Yes, I have played all of the uh, Arkham trilogy.
1: Yeah. So all of that kind of ingenuity in the writing, and yeah, I agree, actually, like, um, uh, especially, the dev- I don't want to spoil anything, actually, because people should play those games. Uh, the ingenuity and the character development and the idea of the, this rich world of villains uh the thing i love about the batman universe is the villains like the villains are super weird and often quite stupid and i love that calendar man <laughs> for example <laughs> uh it has like a nod in the first game and the court of owls which is an amazing uh series of comic books i read last year actually um it's a really, really good arc for Batman. It's hinted at, um, and the Court of Owls appear in uh, Gotham Knights. and it's just, it's just from just a tremendous disappointment.
2: <laughs> well, do you remember like, when, like, do you remember when Arkham Arkham Asylum came out, and the the, pl- the tagline of it was like "Be Batman," you know, "Be the Batman," stuff like yeah. that. And this game is like "Be Batman's like crash." <laughs> yeah, um,
1: uh, and they're all just horrible people <laughs> they're just kind of annoying terrible people especially like Red Hood uh, and also it, it, it suffers horrendously for a this really really long opening sequence and uh, this is in all the marketing And uh, uh, Batman dies at the start of the game uh, he's just brutally killed in the first cutscene which is like 10 to 15 minutes long and then once I finished watching that I was like oh it's not completely <laughs> deflated. I was like, well, and then you, suddenly you have to be some, some twat <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> who's just nowhere near as interesting or as good or as fun to play. And none of them could do anything that Batman can do. Like, you know, it uh, has this um, kind of luminous Gotham uh, that you get to ex- explore. It's an open world and you can sort of wade into fights at random, much like, you know, the other Arkham games. Uh, but the very much like the basic thing of just like gliding, diving, swooping upwards, uh, that kind of movement and the traversal that Rocksteady just painstakingly nay, like the the attention to how it feels to move around the universe in those Arkham games from Rocksteady is just incredible, and uh, this just lacks all of that. Mm. You, you do you do eventually get sort of like those you know the bat wing swooping thing. But it doesn't feel anywhere near as good because there isn't the attention to detail on how things actually feel in the game. Uh, at any point, like, even when you're sort of comboing things together against villains, the it's like a two dimensional combat system compared to the Arkham one, and it's just it's a kind of it's an interesting game to play because it sort of highlights the the skill. And the brilliance of those Arkham games, the original, uh, the original ones, because um, because you feel everything that's lacking uh, from the writing through to the performances, uh, through to the story structure, through to the open world structure, traversal, and actually punching thugs. All of it is worse. <laughs>
2: like. I, mean, I always I always felt like in those in those three games combined like it really felt like and it clearly was like these people had thought right this is our chance to tell a Batman story and mm. we're going to really go for it. We're going to yeah. do all of it. We're going to tell this really quite complete epic arc across three games with a bunch of, you know, takes on already established characters but in our own in our own way of doing it and it, it felt like and particularly in that last game um, you know, this is our last chance, you know, and it is kind of, that game is about, it's kind of sort of Batman's last big job, you know. yeah. Um, and that just, that pays off wonderfully because, you know, the opening of that game, like an hour into Arkham uh, Arkham City, the, the last one, um, uh, you know, there's like opera music playing and you're like trying mm. to disarm a nuclear reactor from blowing up and the game just scales upwards from there. And it's got such a tight control over its narrative apart from when you're in those fucking tanks but like apart from that <laughs> it's it's it feels like the end of an era in a really kind of gloriously elegiac way whereas it doesn't sound like Gotham Knights has anything like that level it's, of sincerity or it, uh, passion it, 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 behind it it is nothing <laughs> it's nothing
1: <laughs> uh yeah so like uh in Arkham City there's this amazing even in the side quests and incidental missions and and sort of things that you encounter there's this through-line of, like, legacy. Like, you're... Uh, there's a guy, Azrael turns up and Batman's kind of training him to follow on in his footsteps. And uh, you have to... It, obviously, it takes the form of a very video game... Video game sort of fights with him over the course. But then there's also Robin and, like, he, it feels like Batman is sort of ready for things to end and he's sort of setting the table for the next phase. And unfortunately, the next phase is this fucking game. <laughs> which is quite sad (laughs) yeah Uh,
0: i I haven't played it but i've got to say looking at the 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 videos of it i've watched it feels like they um they really didn't know how to turn the verbs that were available to them with those characters into the style of gameplay that had been established by the the previous arkham games like that red hood Mm. he's got guns he's literally shooting people but it has to take the same amount of time to take somebody out (laughs) as it does for nightwing to to pummel somebody to death so you get this kind of weird pea shooter combat style for him that just does not fit at all with the lengthy acrobatic brawls Mm. and i don't know yeah it just and like you said the traversal mechanics they seem super weird because they all have to be equivalent and yet there's no reason for Red Hood to be able to navigate in the same way that Batman could. So they give him this sort of weird, boingy. It's I, don't like know, a stick. Know, I don't what is what is the kind of game <laughs> explanation for his ability to to bounce off glowing blobs in the air? <laughs> I don't know. Good question. <laughs> But I did. I did have a proper chuckle because uh, Nightwing uh, somersaulted to land with like both of his feet on a prone enemy's skull, and the words "crime resolved" appeared <laughs> on the screen, <laughs> which is uh, which is great. I love I love the way that these various superhero games try and deal with the non lethality of
1: their uh, their heroes. Uh, yeah. Also, in this game, you're also just beating the crap out of cops as much as you are. <laughs> Out for anyone like, there's no sense of. Uh, so obviously the, the Gotham Police Department, are, you know, they're corrupt now. Jim Gordon's gone. This is the other problem with the game. All the all your favorite characters are dead, and what you're left with is are these four, like, uh, the, the biggest problem with the game. Actually, if I had to point to one thing, is the fact there's four characters, and they like, just pick one. And make them really fun to play. Mm. Uh, Don't have four diluted, kind of weird. uh, So uh, you get weird things with the uh, the plot as well. Where um, I'll have a chat with Harley Quinn as Red Hood, and then I'll be like bored of Red Hood, so I'll switch to uh, Batgirl, and Batgirl will talk to Alfred, and like he will talk that their discussion will be as though Batgirl had just done that mission, (laughs) Uh, Mm. and that happens constantly, like all the time. Uh, so there's no sense of kind of continuity between missions and between characters, uh, and I don't understand the need for there to be four
2: playable characters at all.
1: Uh, it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah.
2: the reason lots of people would say that the reason Iron Man, you know, the movie that kicked off basically the current hmm. state of all cinema and art, um, <laughs> <laughs> the reason it works so well is because back then no one gave a fuck about who Iron Man was. I certainly didn't. I thought he was a complete dork. Like, screw that guy. But that gave them leeway to basically make whatever movie they wanted to and and do something kind of different with the superhero genre. You know, they felt empowered to do that because this was an IP that back then, you know, was just meaningless. Mm. Um, you know, and like, there's no reason why you couldn't make a game about Huntress or Nightwing or I mean, maybe not Redwood, um, but one <laughs> yeah, of those first two. <laughs> um, you know, and just turn it into something interesting and different. You know, take take that as your kind of, you know, leading idea. Like, how can we make a cool game about this cool hero? But no, they decided to do four at once, which was, yeah.
1: Hmm. It's kind of, it's a weird folly and kind of, uh, it just kind of feels like a sort of cash in on, all the ideas that those great Arkham games set up um, with none of the reward really
2: yeah because but... Rocksteady are now have now moved over to dc and they're making a is a suicide squad game is that right yeah i
1: believe so very excited yeah. about
2: that i used to where i used to live in uh, in gospel oak in london was where their offices were um oh, cool i mean so occasionally it was like you know cuz it's a kind of sort of very like the area i used to live in was very dull um uh, and then occasionally you'd see people walking around with um you know really cool batman t-shirts on and stuff like that like where did those guys come from <laughs> and then yeah it's just uh, around the corner from my house
1: i love uh like there are certain sort of districts uh, around the world where like loads of studios are kind of grouped together um and then uh, i was like wandering around like uh, vancouver for example and everyone is kind of talking in code names for what they're working on. Of course, (laughs) like as developers, like they're, they're desperate to chat about what they're working on and they're just really excited about what they're doing, but they can't name the thing. So, uh, and then sometimes you, you you know, you'll be walking along with some Relic developers and then across the way, some developers from EA (laughs) uh, will, will be walking along and, um, they're just sort of like everyone goes quiet for a moment, <laughs> and <laughs> <then> <laughs> resumes a conversation. Start clicking their fingers in rhythm. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's very, or like Anchorman. Uh, I think they might have to face up. <laughs> <off>. Yeah, <laughs> various developers <laughs> lining up.
2: Now I live in uh, where I live now is walter on Thames, and uh, I've walked. I've now walked past uh, Introversion Software's offices a couple of times, oh, which cool. I was very excited about. Oh, uh, occasionally, I occasionally see really exquisite big box PC games in the like and Amiga games in the charity shop yeah, down Walton, nice. which I can only imagine are some of, <laughs> some of the people <laughs> at Introversion. No one else is is that nerdy in Walton, surely. <laughs> Apart from me. What have you been playing, Marsh?
0: I've been playing Pentiment. Pentiment? Which is uh A really remarkable game uh, that Obsidian Entertainment have made specifically just for me. So much obliged. (laughs) Thank you very much. Uh, It's a a mystery narrative game with some RPG elements to be extremely reductive about it. But you play as um, an artist in 16th century Bavaria um, who is hired to create uh, an illuminated manuscript at a remote monastery in the mountains. And he ends up Attempting to solve a murder. Um, And it's remarkable, not just because it uh, it has good qualities as a game, but it's just remarkable that it exists at all. It's remarkable that a a company of, you know, a storied company like Obsidian of a particular size, now wholly owned by Microsoft, um, that they were able to get such a a nerdily idiosyncratic, um, a deeply learned game, Mm. I would venture um, and it's beautiful, but it's in a largely commercially untested way, <laughs> I would say. Uh, and to have that game get pitched and accepted and then made and then marketed uh, to the extent it has been, and then launched to an apparent level of success. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's a kind of game that you might expect to appear in a much more shonky and cut down form on itch, but you would never really expect such... Uh, such a passion project from uh, a studio with real risk <laughs> mm-hmm. attached to the kind of budget that has been spent on it um i think it's it was like a small team within obsidian who worked on it but still like there's a, there's obviously a lot of um finesse applied to it which which you couldn't possibly expect for a game of this sort of general pitch otherwise um and as i say it feels like it's ex- explicitly for me <laughs> uh, <laughs> as a former medievalist academic and an illustrator with uh, you know I, I love illuminated manuscripts um I, I, so much so that i like i feel deeply jealous <laughs> that this is not a game that i made um just the like the presentation of it alone which is as though it was uh, an animated version of the sort of illuminations that you see in those manuscripts of the time the style is like modernized to some degree to sort of be emotive and readable to to audiences today but it's still like it's explicitly framed as though it is uh you know a painting on the pages of of a of a book um, probably made out of cat skin uh and there's just uh there's so many I'm sure you. I, I'm sure you'd love it as well, Tom. Since I think you did uh, uh, some amount of medieval studying.
1: Uh, Martin Coyle, back at Cardiff.
0: Yep. Uh, but this looks uh,
1: great. I'm looking at the screenshots. It looks
0: beautiful. Oh, it's great, and it's really well animated as well. There's a lot more animations in it than it probably needs. Like I said, like there's just this level of finesse that uh, that um, Obsidian can bring to it, um, and lots of so many nerdy touches, just like. Um, like for example, there's a there's an Ethiopian monk who's visiting the abbey in it, and he's rendered in a completely different illustrative style from the other characters. But his illustrative huh. style is entirely fitting for the kinds of manuscripts that came from Ethiopia. Amazing, at the time. and like a big thing in the game is the way that speech is rendered, um, and it you know appears as text, but it's in a font that is appropriate to the background of the character who's speaking, and using scripts that are kind of apt at the time, but still kind of readable to, to people today. And wh- when you discover something about a character's background that changes your perception of them, their font also changes. So like you, you discover that somebody is from a more, like a, from a big city after all, and he's got a they're progressive and they, they have a more modern style of thinking. And their font goes from this vulgar peasant scroll to being laid out like a printer's block. And it's, <laughs> and it's it's, impressive how much uh, that Im- imbues things with character and uh, a, a sense of meaning. I just, I just love that stuff. Uh, there's so much about the story and even the mystery itself, which ties into ideas of literacy and myth and religious writing and the very means by which those things are created and how those things are threatened or changed by the encroaching uh modernity or, or or even the reformation itself which is about to kick off at the huh. beginning of the game and i don't know it, it just there's i mean so much of that stuff is it feels very uh t- you know relevant to my particular interest but i think all of us probably uh as people who've witnessed this sort of brutal transition from print to digital media, <laughs> uh, <laughs> will find something resonant in the fact that the story takes place at the very end of like the illuminated manuscripts life. Because yeah. at the time the story starts, and this is, it's all about this to some extent, the printing press uh, is now reaching a level of ubiquity that makes manual inscription completely obsolete Even in these remote Bavarian mountains, there's a printing press starting up and nobody needs scribes anymore. And the scriptorium at the monastery is like one of the last of its kind and it's about to close. And like, I don't think the game's purpose is really to draw those parallels between the shuttering of <laughs> of computer game magazines, <laughs> uh, but there's there's just a lot of discussion about like obsolescence of certain forms of creativity or mm. art, even which I think is like crazily relevant uh, to what we were saying earlier about you yeah, know the AI, the, yeah. the appearance of AI. Mm. Um, but all of this is like presented in a in a in a captivating and and accessible way. I think I don't think you need to be as much of a, a massive fucking dork as i am and presumably the makers of the game are to be invested in the characters of the story um because it's a murder mystery you know uh, mm. uh, to some extent um but it does it does certainly help to have like a lively interest in the in the in the stuff around the game like it has all these glossaries that pop up and it, it's really interesting to, to to click on that stuff and read about it um uh especially because so much of what's happening in the background of the game, but also affecting the foreground of the game is like social upheaval uh, of unprecedented kinds. Like the reformation is is fundamentally changing the contracts, the social contract between the peasants and the lords and the church. And all of this becomes incredibly key to the story. And uh, especially as it takes place across a number of years, uh, and like across that duration, you see the way that society changes, and you see like all of that stuff mapped out in incredible personal detail like there's this just the the changing fate of the village and the families that live there and it feels just like it's it's almost casual really the way that it it, it manages to get you thinking about this stuff uh and it's it's sort of it's like intimately personal and at times quite moving about these. Ideas, these historically abstract ideas, like the impact of Reformation thinking, it could be like incredibly dry uh, and 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 chin strokey to put that in a game, and yet it becomes like this important cornerstone of a murder mystery, and it's so elegantly written into that. (laughs) Uh, I'm kind of uh,
1: in absolute awe of it. Um, What's your um, as a as the sort of your player character? are you a peasant in this system or are you what's your kind of class status and how does that sort of play well into, that's
0: to it? i mean that's really that's a really good question as it as it is as it figures quite importantly in this you are a sort of journeyman uh, illustrator you're not yet right. a master you're beginning your master work with the hope of becoming a great master and so your so- social status is sort of you you're on the cusp of uh, of uh, achieving real social status, but you are not yet there, and so you become—you are sort of this outside figure, really. Hmm. Uh, both literally, because you you are not from the village, but you're also of a of a sort of uncertain uh, social trajectory. Um, so are you, and so you're able, sort of, like to to navigate this world and and speak to like abbots, and and, and but yeah. also you can get down with the peasants as well and
1: eat fish heads. Um, yeah. It's kind of the role that journalists play in lots of other jobs and things. I'd like to say, are you sort of actively looking for a patron or something to sort of make your fortune, or is it just a journey through the society and how it changes?
0: You, you arrive at the game having been um, commissioned to produce a particular text, which right. is uh, uh, the patron of which is, is going to come and, and visit the Abbey um, mm. and take a view of your work. Um when things kick off (laughs) in a big way uh, and there there is a murder i won't say who has been murdered but Mm. um, you have a personal stake in the investigation um, and there's time pressure as well uh, because you want to exonerate uh, somebody who's been wrongfully accused of the murder or at least appears to be wrongfully confused um, uh, ideally before they are executed Uh, (laughs) um, and there's if if there is a there's uh, like everything I, I'd love everything about the game really but the, if there is this criticism to be had it's that the way that your investigation is, is structured is um is quite frustrating uh, in that mm. it's it's not clear to you to me as a player what the parameters are of that investigation um, how much time you have to do these things because um, it starts in quite this leisurely way. And it feels like, oh, this is a game where I'm just going to probe things until I get the correct answer. Um, but it's absolutely not that. Like, I totally did not understand the amount of time pressure that you're under. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and like, I, you, everything is so as you hit certain trigger points in your investigation quite frequently like you so you choose to sit down and have a meal with a family to hear the gossip for example or maybe you help prepare some decorations for a festival or something like this in order to kind of get in with certain people and have them talk to you um time then advances like through the canonical hours and certain activities and people are only available at certain times of the day mm. and there are only so many days on hand and the result is that it it it, it is if not impossible, then it's certainly very difficult. I would say to chase down every lead, um, and in my case, I really didn't resolve any directions of inquiry at all. Uh, like I completely fucked it. Uh, <laughs> not so much CAD file as CAD fail, you might say. Um, oh. as, there's actually a really nice uh, CAD file eas- Easter egg in there. Anyway,
2: but um, sounds like pathologic pathologic where there's the kind of things that happen and whether you're there or not (laughs) yeah i
0: think i think it is i i think it is it's not um it's not a ticking clock i think pathologic exists like you're in the game and time is ticking on whereas in this like you're living in an eternal present until you click on certain actions basically Mm. um and the game does sort of tip you the wink that certain actions will advance time, but it's not always clear what the repercussions are. And you don't know exactly what you are then excluding. Um, Oh, yeah. So, like, when I came to present my evidence, uh, I really had no clue (laughs) what was going on. I I just spent, like, too much time eating rustic food with my peasant friends. Hell yeah. um, Thinking that I would... That I'd be able to just you know saunter around and solve the mm. mystery in my own in my own uh, time, and that was not the case. And I think it's it's like partially intended uh, so the way that the investigation resolves, which which for me at least in the first instance was deeply unsatisfactory. That seems to be uh, like an intentional part of it, in that it becomes uh, a core component of your 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 character from then on. Uh, in a way which is extremely powerful in a narrative sense, like at least in in the the, the version of the game that I played, that failure haunts him (laughs) in a horrible way (laughs) along with other personal events. And he he returned to the place years later uh, as a sort of hollowed out uh, melancholic figure. Um, And like, I don't know if that's ideally or canonically the case, um, but the game certainly uses that sense of failure to like, incredibly good effect Um, but then from that point on um there are further investigations afoot and i felt i needed to change my tactics and there's a sort of i think the unintended repercussion to that uh that sense of unsatisfactoriness uh is that it forced me to try and get it right by maximizing my interaction with the game's mechanics in a quite a uh a way which drew me out of the fiction and was also an incredible chore Mm. um because like it was definitely the wrong thing to do but like it's obviously the thing that your character having suffered this defeat would want to do and so instead of just like stumbling into time advancing events as though I was role playing the character which is what I did the first time I I felt I had to systematically scour the entire accessible area of the game for interactivity and then identify which events would advance time and thus be mutually exclusive and uh hoover up every kind of ounce of dialogue i could and only then would i pick one of those uh, exclusive events um but what that means is i was running between something like 50 ish locations Hmm. Each, each canonical hour of the day to check if there was something new to do there and talking to everyone along the way. And by the end, I was actually dreading when a character had something more than hello to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I kind of like I understand why they structured it the way they did and the way that time pressure forces at least a degree of uncertainty or in my case, failure. Uh, because the the result of that is really narratively meaningful. But the problem is that the parameters of interaction are just not always clear. And so you end up as a gamer in your gamer brain pursuing strategies to maximize your knowledge uh, and making the game much less enjoyable. And it's not just that it's a chore to to visit every room in the monastery, which, you know, seem to be accurately modeled in that there are a lot of fucking rooms. (laughs) Um, But it's... uh, You know, sometimes I I had an intent in mind, but I just didn't know how to sort of actuate it using the game's available Mm. interactions. Like my character makes a note to follow a suspicious guy, but I don't, I, Marsh, don't know how to make that happen in the game because everything exists in this perpetual present unless you hit a trigger point to advance time. And so this guy is just going to carry on doing his mending wall animation until Kingdom Come. And like talking to him doesn't give me the opportunity to follow him. I can't just w- wait for his animation to f- finish because it never will. And there are a few things like that in the game where it's just unclear how you're meant to articulate your intent through the, the game uh, and what the rules are of the game at any
2: given moment. It must be a very hard trick to pull off to do that sort of Disco Elysium thing of of just supporting kind of whatever, whatever mm. journey you as a player take through the game and just sort of letting that ride. And that never feeling like, you know, you're missing out on anything, really. Um, yeah, the, that
1: um, description reminds me of the last third of Paradise Killer, uh, where I, I was just doing laps for the map, just trying mm-hmm. to hoover up every single little bit of dialogue to try and make an informed decision. And then the decision in the end was like, felt like, mm, kind of gibberish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, there's nothing much I could have, Done or thought about or discovered that would have helped me get there. So uh, that's always the problem with these uh, with detective games, I guess. Maybe.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's particularly um, key here because you assume the thing is it's quite a good bait and switch that it sets you up as this uh, because your character is really this very smart and cocksure and swaggering uh, individual who's had a bit of a rakish past, and he, he like through the way he he acts and talks. He's very cerebral. He has these kind of um, dreams, which take him into this kind of philosophical landscape, this the, the city of the mind, where he's you know talking to different personified figures, oppressed uh, a Presta John and and so forth. And um, you think because of the the way he's presented as being competent um, that you have the measure of this town and that you are capable. And that, because of your role as sleuth, that y- there is an answer out there for you, mm. and I'm not sure there is. And I think maybe the point of the game is that you oh, never, yeah. <laughs> never really find the certainty or absolute truth um, of certain things, and that that is like yeah fair enough that is an interesting thing to do the problem is that when it when that rubs up against your expectations of what levers you're literally able to pull in the game as as an interactive experience it can leave you feeling quite thwarted uh, in a way which is not part of the fiction but Mm. just part of the experience of trying to interact with a piece of digital media um there's there's something there's like there's there's another feature in the game like there are there's these periodic sort of persuasion checks that you might, like you might imagine you would get in an RPG. And so you'll, you'll select a line of dialogue uh, to ask a character something, and then it will pop up uh, with this persuasion meter, which bullet points the things you have or haven't done to make that gambit successful. Um, But I'm not sure I persuaded more than two people of anything in the entire game. (laughs) And I don't know that I could have done better. Like th- obviously there are ways in which you can just be rude to somebody from the outset. And, uh, you know, that's an obvious way in which you will not get your way with people perhaps. But then sometimes you get a persuasion check when you've been perfectly nice, but you, you haven't really got to know the person at all or have any idea of what might, uh, increase or decrease your chances of success. And at that point, I just don't really know what the purpose of displaying the persuasion check interface serves. Like, elsewhere in the game you have branching dialogue isn't this just branching dialogue why do you need to put a big you failed thing on it and especially is because the persuasion check doesn't the breakdown doesn't appear until you've irrevocably selected your choice and there's no suggestion that your choice will activate this persuasion check it's just one of the lines of dialogue you can say and so you've selected it and then you have no choice but to fail it and it's not Mm. like in other games, where the choice is labelled as a gamble or a percentage, you know, chance, it's just, you know, it's just there. I don't know. It's really weird. I, I wonder if it's to tip you off that you could play the game again and get different results by utilising the foreknowledge that you have from previous games. But I don't know. That just feels. I mean, who's going to play this game again
2: anyway? It's a murder mystery. <laughs> it's so, funny, isn't it? Because um, uh, uh, I noticed there was a sale on of all the um, Wadjet Eye games, and maybe this isn't quite the right fit for Pentiment, but those are particularly unavowed, which I think is a really brilliant point-and-click game by them. And what they do is they avoid the kind of spread of, a, of an old-school point-and-click of having an inventory full of, of crap that you have to apply to, to you know various things in the world by making the, the amount of puzzles very, very limited and the, the um, resolution to those puzzles um, quite simple, but very... Um, uh, there's a there's a clarity in how you solve them that makes it very satisfying you know you'll you'll arrive in an area and there'll be one thing you need to do and what you need to do to do that thing is very very elemental it's not a wild goose chase you need to you know do this thing but they make it you know really play in the story um and I was always I'm very taken with that, and I haven't seen much of it in the in the time since. I know they've got a new game coming out, which I played the demo of, which was great. But, like, um, yeah, I, I thought that was a really good kind of compromise between, um, you know, wanting not just wanting something to be like a visual novel that you just click through, um, but also, you know, not ma- making it so that the game was in its own way with regards to, like, um, you know, not letting you see the content of it.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of really interested by this idea of um, games that potentially uh, like calculated resistance, or like uh, mechanics that are deliberately there to make you feel bad for narrative purpose, or perhaps to fit in with the game. And I feel like it just sort of for me, it never that never ever works with games <laughs> in a way that uh, I can. I will watch films that are kind of quite unpleasant (laughs) and will actually sort of resist uh, like be deliberately sort of difficult to watch and noisy and sort of like uh, horrify me or scare me. But with games, that sort of... I think the idea of player agency, I feel like I'm owed (laughs) an easier (laughs) experience in a way. Well Does that yeah, make I mean sense?
2: I, I, yeah I mean I'm having a great time with these visual novels. I mean there's different yeah. forms of them, you know, where you know some which are very very branching but like um, Umineka, when you when they cry, it doesn't have any branching at all. You're literally just pressing a button to advance dialogue and it turns out I'm fine with that. I thought I'd have an issue with that. I don't. Just tell me a story. It's it's a game that I am playing with one finger and no dexterity. Um and apparently that's okay. So I'm wondering, you know, you know how else that gets applied i guess walking simple walking simulators are are the same thing and that, that's also a genre i pretty much universally love um too um
0: yeah i think it's moment. about setting expectations really not mm. so much as i think because it's it's almost like when you come across like that kind of friction in a game it can sometimes feel like the medium itself is fighting you rather than yeah. something interesting going on uh with the narrative uh and I feel like if the character... I, this would kind of tip the wink to the fact that you aren't, like, some super detective, uh, which is obviously an interesting twist. But, like, I, I would sacrifice that for a line of dialogue which said, wow, I don't have enough time to do this investigation. I guess I can only track a few leads. I'll just do the best I can. Mm. Uh, and that would have just immediately alleviated my sense of, of uh, having to try and maximise everything. Um, and the game does... Regardless of my personal failings as a detective, the game did build to like a, a satisfactory resolution anyway. Um, and
2: it's quite, along the way, it's quite I think um, the- period appropriate though, like the idea that this was a period which saw the emergence of people actually having free time in their hands. You know, the kind of ability to be middle class yeah. <laughs> and uh, and pursue things that weren't just you know wallowing in the mud or being an awful duke and being something in the middle. Wow, um, and the game is so much about that stuff.
0: It's it's really <laughs> no, you've you've hit the nail on the head. It is about the the rise of the middle classes to some extent. It's yeah, just... and you
2: were, you were talking, you know, as you were talking, it re- reminded me a bit of um, uh, Wolf Hall as well. You know, that mm-hmm. kind of that same sort of journey. Not mm-hmm. so much the TV show, but the, the character in the books is kind of you know has that kind of vibe about him, doesn't he? Of, of like the birth of a of a modern of a modern human being in the way that we would understand it.
0: Yeah. Go yeah, that's, it's, it's set at a very similar time. Imagine the well. Obsidian
1: Wolf game, where you, where you play as Cromwell. Oh, oh, Fucking that hell, yeah! That oh my god, that would yeah.
2: be so good. <laughs> yeah. Oh well, I was just... thinking of all other classic. I, I reckon they could do a great Moby Dick game. Imagine that. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I mean, like there is, you know, the, regardless of like the the paths not taken uh, and how that feels in in terms of an investigation just there's there's so much uh uh richness to the the interactions you have with the characters and the the, the kind of relationships you can build with the different characters which do feel like they they branch uh, but it's it's not so much interesting to me that one would go back and see the other branches I don't really care about that it just it just feels i made meaningful choices in terms of my relationships with these characters that then shaped the narrative in a, in a really Um, rewarding way and it is just like aside from the murder mystery the way that the game unfolds across these decades and you get a sense of real you know a real sense of time uh taking its toll on the scope of people's lives and and, you know the changes that emerge in that village at this, this tumultuous time for society and religion uh and like you know, the other thing about this game is that, you know, true to the time, all the characters are super religious, you know, and they're motivated right. by a deep religious conviction of mm. different kinds, but nonetheless earnestly held. And that that stuff could feel so remote and alien. Uh, but in fact, the way that the game makes you get down in the dirt and have breakfast and dinner with these people makes it really accessible and, and meaningful because it lets you see how those, those kinds of thoughts and convictions played out in the minutiae of people's lives, but also in the way that it inspired some of the greatest and terrible drama of the time. Mm. And just just as astonishing achievement to do those things in a, in a video game uh, and have it get made. And also in a video game in which you are solving a murder, um, it's it's just amazing that it exists, and it's absolutely obscene that I didn't get invited personally to make it. It's just despicable. Zero out of ten. Look,
1: the sequel, look, Marsh, you're gonna get a phone call. <laughs>
0: uh, <laughs> oh, I don't think so. They they're doing perfectly well by themselves. Or you can make like uh, a knockoff
2: version in Twine. we um,
1: <laughs> do an escape room. <laughs> uh, right, I'm on the Steam page. Add uh, to basket. It's also on Xbox Game Pass. I'll I will halt
2: this process immediately <laughs> yeah, save quid. myself some money. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, they said they said that they could have only they only could have made it under the Game Pass model. Oh, no, like, really? That was literally the only way that it would have happened, which is kind of exciting and terrifying in equal measures. I mean, it's not often enough that you see a game. We were talking about it, um, Marsh, when it was first shown at Not E3 or one of those things, you know. Uh, where it was just one of those things where, wow, this doesn't look like anything else that anyone's ever made before, you know, and it's it's so rare that that happens and such a glorious thing. Um, you know, hope, hopefully, under this kind of uh, brave new world of uh, massive companies owning everything, there's still going to be uh, room for, for some of those weirdo little games, which, you know, that kind of mid budget games, although if the Netflix model is to be believed, it will last for a couple of years and then it will all be ground down into flavorless sludge. um, Mm. Yeah. uh, And it will just be endless Gotham nights. (laughs) (laughs) But then I guess like uh,
1: this evening, we've talked about uh, Midnight Suns and this one, and those are both kind of, you know, big studios making really cool, weird things. Uh, Not to be too reductive about it, but I think that's quite exciting. Hopefully that will
2: continue. 2023. Jamie, you played anything else? Yeah, I I won't talk too long about it, but I've been playing uh, Rogue Legacy 2, um which is obviously the sequel to Rogue Legacy 1, which is like a, a decade old now and is one of the first sort of in that first wave of roguelites, you know, coming soon after um, Spelunky and the like. Um so it's you know, as, as far as I've played it, I think I've probably got maybe 15 hours into it so far. It's very much the same uh, bag, the same setup. It reminds me of um, Spelunky 2 in that it kind of, it takes as its starting point, a very, very similar kind of geometry of the world around you um, and how you move and how you you do everything is mostly the same. Um, uh, But it is um, a much friendlier game than the first one. I could never quite get into the first one. It always felt a little bit remote a little bit hard to kind of get my head around exactly how it was working. And um, what I would say Rogue Legacy 2 does is just, it's full of so many ways, a bit like Door Fortress, actually. It's in a kind of abstract way. It's it's absolutely packed with inducements to the player to keep going and ways of encouraging you, uh, you know, because it's a road, like you're going to die again and again and again. But the way it mediates that with like um, unlockable... Uh, you know, abilities, unlockable new skills, um, characters that come in and out, um, and just a general sense of of development and getting through things, which is just really like cozy and comfy. The game has a kind of firelit glow to it, which which kind of comes into the play as well. Um, it's beautiful in a way that Rogue Legacy One wasn't. Um, you know, Rogue Legacy One was was a was a nice looking game, but you know, it was a first game from that studio. This one, it's got a lot of Hollow Knight into it and also its kind of own identity. The lighting is very, as I say, sweet and warm. There's so many like beautiful little custom animations. Uh, For example, um, this is a sort of mild, sort of not really spoiler, but you have um, Charon, Charon, you know, the death's boatman who stands in wait for you before you go into the castle and he will take all your gold. And he sort of stands there glowering malevolently at you. At a certain point in the game, you unlock a pizza girl. There's a pizza girl whose job it is to deliver pizza to everyone. And once you've unlocked her, um, you can catch him just sneaking a little slice of pizza in his boat um, off to one side. And it's just a lovely little charming uh, animation. There's another one which is there's a guy who will lock the castle in place. So if you want to play the same seed again, essentially, you can um lock it and he will take a percentage of all the money you make. And he, he throws a little kind of ploppy boy thing into the into the water and it sinks down and his machine turns on. It's just really like full of charm and character. And then um and the way it introduces the ways that you're gonna kind of Um, increase your process across runs just feels really organic it feels to me a lot more um, uh, satisfying than something like Hades where I always felt like my you know my skill ceiling and the way that the game was kind of powering me up were slightly at odds with each other, and I always felt a little bit uncomfortable with how much it was me mastering the game, you know, Spelunky style, or whether I was just being marched across a power curve with, you know, very little, um, you know, sort of choice in that. Whereas in Rogue Legacy 2, I think they've put a lot of effort and time into, you know, making your journey um, in the game feel progressive, but also satisfying, you know, feeling like you're ludically... Um, mastering a system even while you are literally increasing your max hp and, and and stuff like that and then yeah so it's just lovely the combat feels really nice and then of course the kind of usp of the game is that your characters are um uh you know generated with various um skills that they can do so powers and there's a whole bunch of those and then they also have their character traits um which are all sorts of mad stuff. Look just like in the first game. You know, there's one where you're like a clown and you see everyone as clowns <laughs> um <laughs> and you're giving presents to everyone. There's you know, there's one where there's colour blindness, everything's in black and white. I got one today which is Diva, which um says uh the flavor text for it is um everyone has uh, uh everyone's lit, but the spotlight is on you and that means that you're literally there's a big spotlight on you, and then small spotlights on every all the other enemies in the particular room. And when you finish the room, there's a round of applause and, and flowers are thrown at you, <laughs> and there's there's all sorts of stuff like that. Like and just I keep finding new ones, and they keep making me laugh out loud. Um, one of the ones I had today was uh, my character's trait was um, dyspraxia, which is a condition I have as a as a real life person. And and that means, you know, it's kind of clumsiness. Um, and when you have that, all your coins that you, you know, burst out of enemies and chests and stuff just flies everywhere and you have to go and pick it up. And I, you know, I am a you know, very privileged person in just about every way. I've got nothing really to complain about in life. But I got a glimpse <laughs> into why it's important. You know, I understood this in an academic sense, but why representation for people who aren't represented is kind of important because... I've, you know, that dyspraxia is something that affects me every day. Every day someone gets annoyed with me for getting in their way in the street or, you know, driving too slowly or whatever. And just seeing the word on the screen, <laughs> this is all strangely moving. Uh, to Do see you
0: shed coins? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I
2: have, I have shed coins. I absolutely <laughs> have shed coins. I have a story about putting my jacket on the back of a chair in a bar um, and sat next to me on the... St- You're not going to expect this. Sat next to me at the bar was um, Hollywood actress Anne Hathaway. And I uh, lifted the uh, the jacket onto this stool and like so much like loose change came pouring out onto the ground. And me and my friend uh, Hugh had to scrabble around on the ground while Anne Hathaway <laughs> watched us um, pick up all this money. Uh, uh, yeah, so I have done in the presence of... Uh, Oscar-winning actors, uh, yeah. So,
0: have you have you worked with her since?
2: I have not. I have not worked with her <laughs> since, or before. Then she just happened to be there. She's very nice, I have to say. She found it very funny. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that that was nice. Good, good um, sort of um, neurodiverse uh, um, representation. And there's lots of that stuff in there. Like when they use traits, which are you know problems that people actually have in one way or another. It feels done like quite tastefully with humor, but with taste as well uh and the last thing i'll talk about is just my favorite character class in the game is chef so you have a ladle which you can use to hit people but you can also use to wallop their projectiles back at them which is really good fun and then you can also um if you um collect any yeah like health power-ups you can literally stew them in a big pot your character will pause get out a big pot and then and then ladle some soup into his mouth um which is just really charming every time it happens um but yeah it's just it's so good to pick up and play and blast through and like i say my main the main win i think for it is it makes you know the um it makes the uh, non uh, you know the, the progression across runs just feel really satisfying and good and like you know you're literally building your manner and it kind of clinks into place when you when you buy a new upgrade for it um and yeah, I just find it's 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 just full of a lot of joy, and it's just not not getting tired at all. It just knows how to reward you just enough to kind of keep plumbing away at it. Yeah, oh, really impressive. Sounds
1: super satisfying. Are you playing it on your Steam Deck? Um, yeah,
2: and it's it's a great. I mean, I say this about everything. Every game is a great Steam Deck game, but it that sounds one, like again, a particularly good one. It is a particularly good one because yeah, like it's it's also got that thing, like. I know Derek Yu talked in like Spelunky 2 like he wanted the game to be a kind of sandbox like he wanted people to like play it and like try and head for a particular place or try a particular thing and and not worry about like dying you know after doing it or something like that like just to make it a kind of playground and it it has so many ways Rogue Legacy 2 seems to follow its lead in that regard like it's hard to describe exactly how, but like you can you can do almost like the dark soul things where you're like, on this run, I just want to grab this one item and then I'm gonna die and then I'm gonna bank that item and that's fine. And after a while you realize how liberating that feels hmm. that you don't have to worry about death. it's 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 it doesn't matter at all really. Um, it's about you know what you can achieve, how you can change the state of the world um, and yeah, I think they've just really thought long and hard about um how to really optimize that and it feels you know like a really the best possible version of of what they had before fantastic uh i need to get me a steam deck or something you do need to get your steam deck they're very good
1: yeah i can imagine playing pretty much everything we've talked about today (laughs) uh in a portable format on the couch with my kitten and my wife (laughs) that's really fun that's all the time we had for this podcast
0: if you'd like to send us a question, you can send us questions at questions at Crayton Crowbar.com. You can tweet us at Crayton Crowbar. All these recordings are uploaded as videos to YouTube, where you can find other stuff by us. The address for that is youtube.com slash and Crowbar. Thanks as always to our Patreon backers. You can back us too at patreon.com slash Crayton Crowbar. Or you can simply join our lovely Discord community, the link for which is on our website, com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Tom Senior. I've been Jamie Britton. Thank you for listening. Indeed.